Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. Ready to get 30, 30, ready to get 30, ready to get 20, 20, 20, ready to get 20, 20, ready to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month. So give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Hey everybody, this episode of the podcast once again brought to you by my friends over at VeloJerseys.com. Commitment to design and produce the finest cycling and coolest retro stuff you can ride, climb and excel in, in style. Dedicating themselves to providing you with the best materials, quality, worksmanship, along with bringing back the memories of your first heroes. You guys, if you haven't been to VeloJerseys.com, you gotta go. I've been wearing their stuff. I honestly have. I have been wearing their stuff. I have I'm actually, it's really comfortable. I did a race, a mountain bike race a couple weeks ago in the Multaney jersey. It was so freaking cool. Most of the people didn't understand what it was, which almost made me a little sad. But I think we need to educate the world. And they've got uh, Koss. They've got Multaney. I've got a Chilo kit. Uh, what else? PDM. There's a, there's a Renault jersey that is absolutely brilliant. If you have been in this sport like I have for a good amount of time, if you're passionate about it and you know the history... Check out VeloJerseys.com, you guys. It's got they've got some really cool stuff. Put in Patrick Filler, not Pack Filler, Patrick Filler, and you will get an additional 15% off your order. Get over there and buy that stuff from them. Thanks to Velo Jerseys for being a part of the show. Let's get to it, shall we? Blech. Gotta switch glasses. I bought these new glasses, you guys. And they fit crooked on my face. I think I'm gonna have to send them back. They're really pissing me off. They're nice. They're really cool looking, but they just sit just awkward enough on my face to really piss me off. I'm gonna apologize right now. I'm in kind of a bitchy mood. Welcome to the podcast that actually practices what it preaches. The Pack Filler Podcast. I'm Pat Bulger in the Pack Filler Studios. That's right, you guys. I'm actually being consistent with my training. No, really. I've been getting some long rides in. I've been doing a weekly mountain bike race for fun. I haven't been racing on the road, and I don't know why, but I haven't. 
I did get out on Saturday, this past Saturday, and did a good 80-mile ride in the high winds. And I actually, you guys, I actually felt good. Not only during, but afterwards. And even the next day, I went for a short spin. You know, you expect to have those super, super heavy legs. I didn't. You guys, I didn't. Everything's coming together. Oh, it's going to be so great. Although, you know, with my luck, here, here's my pessimist coming out. Something's going to probably go wrong now. I'll probably hurt my back or my neck like I did earlier this year or pull some sort of unknown groin muscle that, you know, nobody knew existed until I heard it. How'd you do it, Pat? Uh, I was pooping or something like that. And you can't go into the doctor and tell them you hurt yourself pooping. My doctor just looks at me sometimes and just kind of, dude, I don't know what's wrong with you. Oh, only June and July are left for my Leadville preparation here. I'm getting a little bit nervous. I will admit that today's interview didn't help out much. And I'll, uh, you know, and I think it might've put a little gasoline on the fire of my paranoia and my fear. Um, So, and, and you guys, today's interview, I will talk about that here shortly. Before I do actually, um, you guys got to excuse me for today's episode. I'm actually going to get a little serious. I know. I'm sure you guys know about the, the recent incident involving five riders in Michigan being struck while killed on a group li- ride. Uh, I've got the article up here. Five cyclists killed and four more injured after a group of riders struck by a pickup truck. Um... They were in a group ride of some sort. Guy was driving incredibly erratically and and took them out and um, and killed five of them. And um, I'm sure you guys know about the recent shooting spree in Florida. Just happened, um, as I'm recording this, just happened about a day ago. And I'm sure you guys know about the political fallout happening in this country right now in the United States. For those of you who's overseas, Congratulations. Those of you here in the States, you probably feel what's going on. You can't turn on any type of media right now without risking the chance of being so fucking depressed. You just sit on the couch, cry, and drink yourself into oblivion. Fuck is going on? Is it, no, really, is, is it just me or are people really stupid, mean, and bitter these days? Is this the coming of the apocalypse when are we going to see the first major sign of the apocalypse what do you think that will be yeah I know what you're thinking I know what you're thinking and you're probably thinking it's in November what will that first major sign be personally I think it's already here I think it's those fucking long socks that people wear in road races I saw photos from a local crit here last week and a guy was at the front of the peloton in those knee high fucking socks that's got to be a sign. That and the e-bike. And people not waving on rides. People haven't been doing that. I've been waving. I'm about to actually lose my shit on cyclists who don't wave back. I'm going to turn around, chase them down, come up alongside them and go, Hi! It's just as loud as I fucking can in their ear. Oh, God. I'm really grunch, grouchy, grunchy. Grumpy and grouchy is now grunchy, in case you wanted to know. 
what was that? Three? I, I got three signs of the apocalypse right now. If you pay attention to your Bible, there's only seven. So keep your eyes open. We might very well be on the way. If this is the end, I want the apocalypse. By the way, I'm just saying this now to be more like Turbo Kid, the movie, than Mad Max. I've seen both movies. If you haven't seen Turbo Kid, it's got some cycling references in it. You should watch it. It's very funny. So I don't know. I mean, I, I, I'm, my time on social media lately has been reading posts about death, about anger with our government, and about lack of information. I don't know. You guys, I know this may sound cheesy. Do you humor me with something real quick? I'd like to hold a, a, a quick silence, moment of silence for the riders in Michigan and those people in Orlando. I just, I, I don't know why. I, I just feel it might be, I, it, it's nothing. It's not like I'm doing anything. It's not like I'm making a difference. And that's what bothers me, I guess, the most. So let's hope those deaths weren't for nothing. So there you go. Stay safe out there, you guys. Please. I don't want to hear any more of these stories. I want to bring I want to be funny in podcasting. And I'm I'm not doing a very good justice to probably my interview today, but um I'm I'm gonna use the material from this today's interview for for something that's bigger coming up down the line. Um we're playing with some uh some kind of funny little documentary concepts that we're working together for for this adventure to Leadville. And hopefully you guys will get some laughs over that over the summer at my expense. Um, so yeah, there we go. Sorry, I was so depressing there. You guys, before we get to the interview, let's say thanks to Cool Water Bikes again. Coolwaterbikes.org, a great shop here in Spokane, um, Spokane, Washington. They're doing um, amazing things, you guys. And I'm not asking you just to... Uh, I'm asking you to research it a little bit. Go to coolwaterbikes.org. Look at what they do. They are providing um, work and an opportunity for homeless and at-risk youth to actually do something with their lives. And I don't know about you guys. I was not homeless. I was not at risk. But when I was a kid, the bike is what kind of brought me out of my shell. It turned me in. It turned me from a chubby kid sitting in front of the cartoons all day, um, eating cereal all day, into um, the idiot that you're listening to now, um, cycling has given me so much and the bicycle has given me so much in terms of that freedom. And Noah over at cool water bikes is trying to do that for people. Um, if you've got a few shekels to throw his direction, um, please do it. If, if you just want to donate some gear, please do it. If you just want to buy a water bottle or a t-shirt, trust me, it's going to a great guy and he's just trying to keep the doors open over there. Um, so thanks to Cool Water Bikes. Go over there and check them out. Also, thanks to Man Can. Man Can. It's a brewery in your fridge, fucker. It is. It's actually awesome. It's a, it's a beautiful can that you can pressurize and keep your beer fresh because you all know beer is very important to this podcast. Although I'm not drinking right now. Probably because it's only 3 o'clock in the afternoon. But 
go to the pack filler website click on the man can link click on the cool water bikes link click on the velojerseys.com link look good drink good and feel good thanks to those three sponsors you guys interview for the day mr joshua collie josh collie race director for the leadville 100 yep selfish interview today i will let the inter the introduction that i provide at the beginning of those interviews get you guys up to speed on um my little chat with josh that i had last week you guys be sure and talk to me on facebook twitter or you can email me info at packfiller.com or even patrick at packfiller.com if you want to go straight to the source um no viruses i promise be uh, sure to subscribe to the show on itunes and toss us a rating should you feel the desire all right there, I got it all out of the way. I got my angry moment out of the way. I don't know if I'm going to ever make a difference, but, you know, maybe, I don't know, maybe one of you guys will do it better than I can. Josh Colley on the Pack Filler Podcast. Okay, everybody, today's guest is a selfish one. As you may know, I've found myself staring down the barrel of what I consider an ultimate challenge in the form of the blueprint for athletes Leadville Trail 100 coming up in August. Legendary race, 100 miles, insane altitude, all in one shot. What better way to get behind the scenes than talk directly with the race director himself? Hey, why not? Welcome to the show. Let's talk to Josh Colley. How are you, man? I'm doing great, Patrick. Good hey, to be on the show. Thank you. Hey, um, let's, let's get a concept here. Leadville's basically, at least in the cycling, cycling world, become synonymous with this race. Um, the, the, the town of Leadville, where you reside, um, and when... People think incredible mountain bike racing. They think of Leadville. Um, what kind of a history do you, in your knowledge, do you know of the event, and how did this all come to be? Absolutely. Um, I moved to Leadville in 2000, so I've been a resident for 16 years now, and um, immediately found out about the races and jumped in the next year. So my first year racing was 2001, and I did it again in 2006. Um, I've known Tim and Mary Lee, the founders of the race, ever since, and um I still see them on a weekly basis. They come into the office and say hello, and we chat. And we talk about, you know, keeping everything, uh, you know, in line with history. We don't want things to change too much, and we definitely want to keep up with the times and make everything current and and valid. But we also don't want to lose touch of what Lego's all about, and that's history and family, and um, you know, the course speaks for itself. I think the monster is just gonna it's gonna treat people however it treats them. Some people have great. Uh, great times at that elevation and some people have trouble so you kind of never know what you're going to get it's, a, it's an ultimate equalizer and and was there a reason for it to actually come into its fruition when it started back i don't maybe you could help me out what year it actually started in and and what was the the concept behind it in terms of hey let's let's make these people do 100 miles in one stretch at this insane altitude well yeah and that's one of the the greatest stories we have. So the way Ken tells it, and then this goes all the way back to 1983, um, we have a, a large mine on the outskirts of town. It's called the Climax Molybdenum Mine, and it shut down. So overnight, the, uh, the population of Leadville went from, uh, you know, very successful and, and stable to the highest unemployment rate in the country. Wow. So Ken decided to come up with a way to make people come to town and spend at least one night. That was the, the only goal at that point, and that was for the 100 run. So he decided if he could make them come to Leadville and run 100 miles, they would at least have to spend one night. So um, it all just grew out of that. That was the idea, and that was the, base, the basic premise of the entire race. And then we've grown, you know, now we have the bike race, we have the marathon, 
We have the qualifiers across the country, but it all it all goes back to 1983 when he decided to try to get people to let build. And and your first exposure to it was, as you said, you you were a competitor in it, so you obviously have a cycling background yourself. I did, yeah. Um, I moved out right out of college. Um, I'm from Kansas, so I uh, I had been doing races back there, and when I moved to Leadville, you know, that was a natural thing. All the locals talked about it as something you had to do, and, uh, you know, I jumped in immediately and, and never looked back. And so what was the process there from becoming a, a, a resident of Leadville, um, a competitor in the in the event, uh, up to the point where, holy crap, I'm, I'm now the race director? <laughs> yeah, I mean, it was interesting. I, I had a, a sports management degree from college and hadn't really used it for 10 years. I had done other trades and um, just decided I was, I was ready to get out of the trade. I was kind of getting beat up, beat up and, you know, your body kind of really really takes a toll on you after a while hucking around tools all day. So oh, yeah. um, there just happened to be a transition with Lifetime Fitness buying the events from Ken and Mary Lee. And uh, there was a position open, and I, I jumped in there and took it. And now we're six years later. Wow. Was that was there a learning curve involved, or was it a pretty good transition for you? Well, yeah, there's definitely a learning curve because, um, you know, the advantage I had was being a local and yeah. kind of knowing – some of the politics to go on in a small town and, and knowing how to, uh, you know, keep the boat righted and keep it going in the right direction and still bring what Lifetime wanted to bring to the table, which was just, you know, some incredible upgrades, uh, some different sponsors and things like that. And the athlete experience was still number one priority. And I, I, I'm hoping I'm doing a, you know, a, a service to all the athletes who come to Leadville. We want them all to feel like family and know that they've, they've gotten a top-notch experience under their belt after they've crossed the finish line. Well, you talk about Leadville itself, and, you, and you've used the word family a couple times. Um, and uh, being a small town and having all these people just converge on it, um, and for me, for someone who's never attended the event, how would you describe the community and, and everybody involved there? Well, it's interesting. Um, you know, an athlete that comes to experience the race probably doesn't feel it as much as the crews. So... If you're bringing two or three people to help you get through the race, and they're the ones trying to drive down the county roads and get to the aid station location, uh, they're the ones that feel more of the pressure because the infrastructure there for for the crews is, is difficult. Uh, you know, we're just we're set up to to house four thousand people, yeah. and all of a sudden on race day we've got closer to ten to twelve thousand people in town. So the athletes will probably never know the difference, um, but it's more your folks helping that'll will tell you about it afterwards. Now. Our, our county does a great job. I mean, the search and rescue teams and the sheriff's department and uh, the Leadville Police Department, I mean, they all just they take care of us so well. Um, then we also have our additional medical staff that's just race-based. So the, everybody at the aid stations is a different, separate race medical team. So, um, you know, we have to come at it from all different angles because yeah. you never know what could happen. Yeah, absolutely. So, so I hear I, I, you know, I've been applying to the lottery a couple of years in a row, and I, you know, I've always been saying, yeah, I'm gonna, I'll just, I'll throw my name in. I'm, I'm probably not gonna get in. Yada yada yada. Now, oh God, I'm in. I got to get my button gear. <laughs> when was this lottery process established, and and what is the number of participants that you guys allow into the race? Right. So the lottery. I mean, I was putting into the lottery way back when I first started in 2001. Okay. Um, and, and back then it was different. It was a paper. You know, you, you mailed in your little slip. You waited for a couple of months and just hoped you got the, the invite back with a big packet full of all the information you needed. 
and your race bib and everything. Um, so the only really way that process has changed is just it's all online now. Um, same thing though, people put in for it and then they're, they're all waiting for that January 15th day or whatever it is that we post for the announcement. And, um, I mean, Facebook, social media is just blowing up at that point with people getting either the accept or the decline letter. Um, and basically what I shoot for is right around 15 to 1600 folks to actually, um, show up. So our forest service cap is quite a bit higher than that, but I, you know, at this point I, I'm just very cognizant of keeping the experience top notch. So I don't want to overcrowd the course. I can imagine. Now, from your experience as a rider, along with being the race director, what do you consider the biggest challenge or or challenges, I guess we could say, for a competitor? Is it is it just the elevation? Is it the distance? Is the, is it the course involved? What what would you say would be the probably the biggest thing to look out for? Well, you know, for me, I lived in Leadville for a year before I did it the first time, so I'm kind of skewed probably on the elevation question because I was acclimated heavily by then, and yeah. you know. At this point, living there 15 years, that's kind of a, a non-issue. You just learn to deal with how it feels to be at that elevation. For me, it was the distance. Um, being on the bike for uh, eight hours and 40 minutes that year, you know, your shoulders hurt, your feet hurt. Everything just kind of gets to the point where you're ready to get off of that bike. Now, as soon as you come around the corner on the boulevard, two miles from the finish, you can hear the PA and, you know... <laughs> You know your family's waiting for you, and everything's going to be good in a little bit. Then it all makes it worth it. Everything's fine. The pain goes away. But for me, it was just the duration on the bike. So we have leaders finishing around that six-hour mark, and you, there's also an award for, for uh, what I categorize the humans who try to finish at under 12. Um, you obviously are dealing with a large array of abilities. Do you find that there is it that spread out in terms of abilities, or is it just it's that difficult of a thing. And we have these, these superhumans who are coming and doing it that fast. Well, we definitely do have some of those superhumans, um, and their world cup guys, yeah. you know, coming from Europe along with Todd Wells and the other handful of Americans here that, you know, just go out there and rip it. Um, the course fell under six hours this year. We didn't, we didn't ever think that would happen. We thought when Levi Lifetimer set the record, it would last for 20 years. And man, we were wrong. So, um, it's very interesting. The people coming in 12 hours and, and just doing all they can to get in that 12-hour cutoff are amazing, amazing athletes. Uh, we always look forward to those, those folks towards the back because they've been out there working their butts off and doing everything they possibly can. Yeah. And they put in just as much time as everybody else training for it, you know, so everybody's in a different position. And um, one of the beauty things about Leto is it's an every man's race. You don't have to pre-qualify somewhere else. You can get into the lottery. This can be your very first ultra-endurance mountain bike race if you wish. And um, I think there's something to that. I think people appreciate that. Where do most your where does this the, I guess the the graph fall in terms of most people finishing? You have a specific time window in which you get the bulk. Absolutely. Um, if you look at the 30-minute window, the heaviest window would be a be- between 10 and a half and 11 hours. Really? That's when they are just bumper to bumper coming in. Really? Okay. Yep. <laughs> See, I'm flying blind here, so this is this is my little inside information here that I'm getting from you. Um, now, let, let's talk a little bit about preparation. Um, okay, I live, for example, I live at about 2,000 feet. I'm sure there, I know there are a lot of listeners to this program who are higher or quite a bit probably even lower than that. Um what do you think is the best way to prepare for something like this? Well, I'll kind of use Dave Ween, who's our six-time Leadville champ, yeah. 
his words. He says, you know, training for a bike race, nothing substitutes riding your bike. So, you know, you can cross train, you can run, you can, you can do all kinds of high altitude stimulations, but long story short, you got to be on the bike. Those particular muscles have to be ready. You have to be mentally ready. So your mind has to be tough. You have to know that you're going to hurt and everybody hurts. Even the guys up front, they just don't hurt as long. Um, so I would suggest if you have some hills, at least, you know, you're not going to feel the elevation training where you are, but at least get the feeling of long time going up uphill because that Columbine climb is just relentless. It goes on forever, and there's never a, a flat spot or a downhill, you know, all the way up through all those switchbacks up above tree line. So if you could get used to just, you know, pressure on the pedals, not not getting much um, of a break, that's kind of what you need to be practicing. Now, for, in terms of at altitude acclimation, do you how when do you get riders coming? Do they? Do, I've heard of people coming multiple times throughout the year. I have heard friends saying sleep in one of those expensive tents. I've seen a horrible joke that they now have these masks you can buy at the store that are, are basically slow the air going into your lungs. Um, how can we get ready for that? So there's basically two schools of thought and. One is get up as early as you can. I mean, it, it's really unbelievable that we already have athletes in town right now. Wow. The snow's not even melted in Leadville yet, and they are here for the entire summer. They're taking it that seriously. <laughs> and Patrick, these aren't the pros. I mean, these are, these are the guys that are honestly shooting for an 11-hour finish or a 10-hour finish or, or a 15-minute advantage over what they did last year. That's how serious people are, and it's really really compelling to know that they go to that distance. Wow. Um, now, obviously, for the, for the normal... Joe, who can't just take off from work and leave their family for three months, um, the idea is it's either better to come, you know, seven to ten days out and hope that your body does a good job of adjusting or wait until the absolute latest that you possibly can, which would be, you know, like Friday afternoon and, and don't let your body go into that adjustment period and get through the race and then you'll probably start really feeling the effects of the altitude. Wow. Wow, it's, it's... to me, to me, it's a little sketchy to wait that long. Yeah, I mean, there's not very many people to go that route. That's really taking a chance. That's throwing just compl- oh my god! That now that makes me nervous, especially when I hear that there are people up there for that long. I think I'm thinking of coming maybe like five days before or something like that. But yeah, <laughs> yep. Now, now how- when you do, when you do get up, you know, like they say, drink plenty of fluids. Um, take it easy that first day. Maybe go ride somewhere a little bit lower, either either in Summit County or in Chafee County, which are not far from us, 20 miles away, but the elevation there is 7,000 feet rather than 10,000. So yeah. sometimes it's good to step your way up to Leadville. Oh, man. Now, how about gear? I've heard I've read articles and heard from people stating um, specific bike setups. A hardtail bike is the steed of choice from some people. Some people completely disagree with that. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at PlushCare.com slash weight loss. That's PlushCare.com slash weight loss plushcare.com slash weight loss life is full of awesome what ifs and some not so much like unexpected medical costs that's why united healthcare provides health protector guard fixed indemnity insurance plans to supplement your primary plan and help manage out-of-pocket costs learn more at uh1.com 
you know, if if you have the means to show up to Lego with a lightweight full suspension, you know, three to four inch travel cross country bike, you can't go wrong. Yeah. Um, a hardtail is going to be just a, a tad lighter, and I understand the idea that you know having a little more energy transfer, but there's a lot of rocks on that course, and on your way back to home, you know, it starts rattling your cage a little bit on that hardtail. So if you're used to riding a hardtail and you've already been on one for years and, and that's your thing, then, then heck yeah, go with it. But if you can get into a, you know, 23, 22-pound full suspension bike, and uh, you, you're not going to be disappointed. So that little bit of cush really goes a long way at the end. Yeah. How about how about uh, any other gear or obviously you know the repair materials and things like that? But um, you know, in terms of uh, fueling, in terms of water, how much stuff like that should be should a rider be carrying with them? You know, when I got to the hundreds, I, I wouldn't wear a Camelback just because I didn't like the weight of it on my shoulders for that long. So I would definitely have two bottle cages on the bike, and I would force myself to get through both those bottles between every aid station. Yeah. Um, and just, you know, if you're not doing it, your, your crew has to be able to tell you that this is so important. You know, you're going to lose your race in the last 50 if you don't start paying attention to that. So fluids, um, tools anymore. There's so many ways to put tools on bikes. They've got those nice little, little packs that can bolt on under your water bottle cage. Um, they even make, you know, kits now, cycling kits that have specific tool pouches in them instead of just the three pockets on the back. So I would find ways to stash some of that stuff, um, low on your body if you can around your waist. And um, you have to have appropriate clothing. That's one thing about it. It's cold at the start line. Those first four miles going downhill 35 miles an hour towards the lake are cold, even for us locals. I mean, that's just bitter. And if you're not cold at the beginning, you're going to be too hot by the time you get a mile up St. Kevin's. You're going to be sweating and wishing you had enough layers on. So you kind of have to do what's right for yourself. If you can handle just gritting your teeth and making it down that first uh, four-mile stretch with just a, a jersey and maybe a vest and some armor, that's really the best situation. I wouldn't overdress. Um, same way with Columbine. You've got to take a raincoat to the top because more like, less likely you're going you're gonna to get rained on up there. And it, 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 Once you get wet on top of tree, uh, above tree line, it, it's nasty. So, you know, a raincoat anymore weighs nothing if you get a really a nice cycling-specific one. So I would shoot for that for sure. So, so people are hauling this stuff with them, or they use it, they rely on crew to get them up to there. So, if I need a rain gear halfway through, somebody's going to be there for me, or you say just pack it and go with it. Well, no, I never, I never took a raincoat from the start. Um, yeah. In fact, I would pull my arm warmers off after that first aid station, and that pipeline, I would just drop all my extras and get rid of it all, and then make it through that flat section, pretty much down pipeline all the way to Twin Lakes, and that's where at Twin Lakes I would pick up anything else I thought I would need. If there was a big, black, mean-looking cloud with, you know, thunder rumbling off in the distance, I would grab my arm warmers back and maybe grab a head warmer and grab the raincoat. I never really worried about my legs. Um, they were hurting for other reasons. <laughs> I wasn't worried about weather making them hurt. <laughs> so how about strategy involved? What can, um, I've had friends who've done it who've said, oh, my God, I got too excited at the start, went way out, really hard out at the start just because everything was so you know energetic, and then I just I, it screwed me for the end. Is there a specific type of strategy you recommend riders do? Well, you just nailed it on the head. Um, if there's one place to tear people up, it's St. Kevin because it's such a huge vibe at the start. Uh, the gun goes off, and you just don't want to let anybody pass you. You know, if you're in this game already from the very start thinking that you have to uh, be in racer mode, 
the best thing to do is back off all the way up through St. Stephen. And then around the lake, it's pavement. You know, it's, it's 40 feet wide. You can pass all you want at that point if you feel like it, even up through Sugarloaf and then uh, to the top of Powerline. There's plenty of room to pass. Now, Powerline, you got to be careful because you can get yourself into trouble real quick getting on the wrong line and trying to get around somebody. You kind of have to dial it back there and be patient because it's rough and there's big, deep goalies and stuff. And um, just wait till you get out of that and get around the fish hatchery. There again, you're on pavement that's 40 feet wide. You can just kind of ride your own ride around there and pass people and pace line and do all the stuff you should be doing. Um, I do have to say, once you get up to Columbine and start up, uh, my strategy was always to back off one gear easier than I could have pushed. So if I knew I could hold that cadence and that gear for 20, 30 minutes all the way up to the top of Columbine, I would back it off one more gear, even though you feel like you're not doing anything and you're wasting your time. Um, by the time you headed back to town, that was that was a smart choice. That's what I did. So it, the course difficulty, it's its not going to necessarily be something that is super technical. Where I've, everything I've looked at in terms of your virtual course seems kind of pretty opened up, uh, things like that. Do you Are there any specific areas that you think are going to be more difficult than others? Um, you know, that descent down from the top of Columbine is, is rough and loose, and you have you have traffic coming towards you. Yeah walking and so you have to be careful there you know your your handlebar is literally less than a foot away from the other people's handlebar that are coming up at you so you got to pay attention sometimes those rocks are loose and slick if it's raining on you um you don't want to go down on those kind of things because it's steep and it's it's rough so that's probably the most important part to me i'd say once you get down out of columbine you're in pretty good shape um Everybody knows about power line already, so that's kind of a, a non-issue. You just got to be careful in there. The other place, though, Patrick, I have to say that always scares me a little bit, and I love descending, and I, I like to go fast, but when you come down from Carter Summit, which is the top of St. Kevin, when you come back down that, there's one stretch in there that's straight as an arrow, and it's steep, and you don't realize it, but you're going fast really, really quick, and then there's a corner at the bottom of it, so... If you can scout that out and just know that after 94 miles, you know, you're not quite with it as much as you normally are. You start losing kind of depth perception a little bit and and uh, start breaking a little bit later than you should and that kind of stuff. So that's another spot that you can really lose it right there. So, wow, okay, that's this is all good to know. What are some other, especially, actually, do you get guys get a lot of collisions on that? And you're talking about riders going up and down. Is, is that a pretty common occurrence? No, no. no. It ever happens, and, you know, it's just one of those, I think, everybody is in it together. They yeah. realize that this is a challenge that you're all undertaking at the same time, and, and people are behaving themselves, and what happens through there more than anything is everybody's just cheering for each other, because that's wow. the beauty of an out-and-back course, is you see every single rider. Um, so, when you look up, and you know that the leader's flying down at you faster than he normally would, and, and you're standing there, you, you tend to get out of the way. Out you out tend way, to, yeah. you know, kind of have a little bit of respect for that. Yeah. Yeah. What what are some of the common mistakes you find that people make on race day? Uh, I mean, I would say a lot of it is nutrition, yeah. to be honest. Um, wake up a little late, you know, thinking it's cold outside. I don't want to go out there yet. I don't want to get up. I always would wake up uh, like two, two and a half hours before the gun and try to get some food in me. And if there's any way to lay back down a little bit and maybe relax, obviously by then the nerves are going pretty hard. But it's good to get things digesting instead of eating on the way to the start line. Um, 
another thing that's kind of a bad idea is to stand out there at that starting line for an hour and a half. It used to be that way was, was the way you had to do it because there weren't any corrals set up and you had to get in line in the corral or in the start line just so that you weren't at the very back of the pack. If you were a guy that was an eight hour guy, you had to be in there an hour early to get an eight hour spot. Well, now with the, with the qualifiers and people using the time from a previous race, the corrals are set up to be fastest up front and then uh, slowly trickle back to the to the white corral in the back. So you can literally show up for the gun 15 minutes before it goes off and you're in good shape. So what about guys like me who haven't done it and haven't done a qualifier? Well, yeah. So you'll be in the white corral in the back, and <laughs> okay. at that point, uh, in the, in that point, you're in a big corral that's got uh, that's got four probably 400 people in it by itself. But wow. you know the difference between the start of the race, the guys up front that are standing on the green or the red line, and the very back is less than four minutes. And everybody thinks when the gun goes off and you're in the back, that it's like a 15 minute wait. Well, that is absolutely not true. It, it doesn't take that long. It feels like it takes that long. Um, I know it feels that way, but it's not, it's less than four minutes from the very last guy getting to the gun. So wow. you gotta, you gotta remember that, you know, it's not that big of a deal. Um, we had a guy start in the back last year that was, uh, he was, he was picked up by one of our sponsors to start in the back and pass as many races as he, as he could safely. <laughs> and then they donated, um, I think it was $2 a head or something or, or more than that. I can't remember right now, but um, to uh, a local charity. And he ended up finishing in eight hours and 15 minutes from the very, very back, the wow. last guy to start. <laughs> wow. Good, so, good. Obviously a good formula then. It's working. Yeah. Yeah. That's awesome. So um, where am I? Oh, yeah. The event, obviously a huge success. And um, I talked to a lot of people involved in bike racing and different types of events and things like that. And do you see more of these types of races changing what is happening in the look of racing? I, I talk about the concept, especially road cycling, dealing with if you're dropped, the race is over. Um, and we're seeing some other types of races starting to take the lead in this things where people are racing against themselves the course and each other. Do you see more races like this starting to change the face of, of what we're doing in terms of traditional cycling? You know, I, I do because it makes it, it makes it a challenge for yourself, for every individual, you know, it's about, it's about you, it's about yeah. you getting, getting through what you've been trying to train for, for some people up to years, you know, um, if you're not on the pace and you're not up there with the leaders or you're not on the pace that you planned on, you just have to figure out a way to get through it and get to the finish line. And I think that means a lot to people. It, take, it takes a lot to realize that um, you're not having a perfect day, but yet you're not going to quit. Uh, we, don't like, we don't like people to quit. We, we want them to go home and have the confidence to be able to tell their friends and family and neighbors that they did it regardless of what it took. And it makes them better people. It makes them see themselves, you know, in a different way. So, I do. I think there's a change. I think that uh, Leadville has always kind of been this way. It's about getting to the finish line. It's not about when you get to the finish line. It's about getting to the finish line. And obviously we've got people doing that all across the, uh, the range of abilities. Who are some of the race favorites you see coming in this year? Um, you mean up front? Yeah. So we have uh, Christian Hayek coming back from uh, Team Ergon. He was second last year, uh, right behind Alvin Makata. Uh, I just talked to Todd Wells uh, 10 minutes ago, so he's back in. He's ready to come back and not have any mechanicals. Last year he had a flat tire like in the first five, six miles. Oh. 
which kind of, you know, knocked him out of the race. He, he charged, he charged back and rode a heck of a race. But when you're, when you're dropped from that front pack and they're pace line and up front with each other, then you're kind of out there in no man's land all day. So, uh, Todd will be back. He's been having a heck of a season already this year. Um, you know, there's, there's a host of others. I know the Bostrom boys, it sounds like are going to try to come back. Um, I haven't heard from, from Christoph. I don't know about him. I know Albin's racing the Olympics. So unfortunately, you know, yeah. the Olympics are within a week of our race. So that's just something we have to deal with this year, but uh, they'll be back next year. How about on the, on the women's side? Yeah, I, I don't know that, um, we'll have the, the, the re- ridiculously girl from specialized back. I mean, she was so fast last year. That was <laughs> unbelievable. The pace she set. I mean, yeah. uh, I just, I was blown away by her speed. Her name's Annika. I don't know her last name, but um, really, really impressed with her. Her first time in Leadville even, and just came up and destroyed the course. Wow. It was really neat. Um, after that, you know, one of my one of my biggest things I'm looking forward to are the two guys that are still shooting for the every year. I mean, we have Todd Murray. Uh, I know he's coming back for sure, and he's got every buckle under his belt. He hasn't missed one year. Wow. Um, so it'd be cool to see that 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 train continue um so yeah wow. but there's all kinds of storylines you start looking at it patrick and it's just anything you can imagine there's <laughs> there's so many special people to do the race I, I love that part of it oh man so what should someone listening to this show who's just kind of getting excited about it who hasn't made it into the lottery um is it still possible to get to the starting line through the what kind of qualifying events it sure is yeah we've hosted two so far uh the first one was down in austin texas that was a couple months ago and then I literally just got off the plane from Wilmington, New York, uh, here on Tuesday. So that was our second one. And we still have the Silver Rush 50 in Leadville coming up. Um, so that's going to hit here in July. And then we also have the Tahoe Trail 100 out at North Star Resort, which is right by Truckee. Uh, that's also in July. And then we have Camp of Champions. There's some spots left in that still. So you can come race, I'm sorry, come ride with uh, Dave Weens. And I think Todd, Mer- uh, Todd Wells is actually going to be there to guide also and maybe a couple other high-level athletes, along with a host of other guides. They all have let-go finishes. Um, so you can come do that, and, and that gets you a spot into the 100. There's only a few left, though, so that one you'll have to get on quick. And then the one other option is a new race we started last year. It's the Leadville Stage Race. Um, so that's even later in July. And we break the course into three days. So it's the 100 course, but you do... 40 miles the first day, second day you do 20, and then another 40 on the last day. So uh, you can do it as a team, you can do it as an individual, you can use it as a training ride to kind of get your, your feet under you on the course. And then, uh, you know, we have wonderful meals after every one of those dinners and treat everybody real good and get them some good swag. So the stage race is a pretty cool way to get in as well. That's a great way to do it. Um, so hey, before I finish up, I, I got a couple ones I could ask you. This is my first time. Um, I'm, you know, I've been ra- bike riding and racing since the '80s, but this is this is the first time I'm going to tackle this type of a distance. Um, any insider tricks you're willing to, you know, to give to make it a little easier for a schmuck like me? <laughs> um, okay, so one of the mistakes I made was that section around the fish hatchery. After you come down off the the power line, and this is both directions, inbound and outbound. Don't turn that corner on the pavement and take off by yourself. If there's someone behind you that's 10 seconds behind you, or if there's someone you can see out in front of you that's 10 seconds ahead of you, do whatever it takes to get to that person. Even if it's only one other person, if you guys work together, 
it helps so much because it's windy out there. Yeah. And if you can take turns, you know, pulling, uh, do it, turn into a team tactic at that point, but don't go across that section solo, or you'll just be out there just, you know, hating it and wishing you would have made the decision to wait or, or jump up to the next guy. So that's one, that's one little tidbit I give you for sure. Okay. Any, uh, before we go, any kind of funny or interesting stories you've had from your years as race director? Oh, man. Uh, I'm sure there are dozens. Yeah. You know, between the people that uh, decide to propose to each other on top of Columbine or on the red carpet, you know, those are always interesting. You're always (laughs) looking for the best (laughs) for those guys. And um, let's see, we've had people actually get married on course, you know, all kinds of things. Um. (laughs) I've had guys email me the morning of the race at like 5:45, asking if uh, if they have spare parts. Like literally emailing me, asking if there's a derailleur available and stuff like that. Which, <laughs> you know, if I could get it to them, I would. But at that point, I'm kind of busy and I'm getting ready to shoot the gun, and uh, I, I've kind of lost. You know, I've, I've lost being able to do much for an individual at that point. But we do have good support at the bike shop. They're open early, and if people have mechanicals, they can definitely get into cycles of life and and get some parts but you know those are just kind of the things that stick out to me oh god you know and i've i've done i've been announced the announcer at multiple races i've been on the race director side of it and sometimes you just gotta either either you go crazy or you just have to laugh it off so i'm sure you probably have plenty of ones that you you could share but you'd probably get in trouble for it <laughs> you you are absolutely correct. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> well, right on. So before we go, if like you said, there are other events coming up. Where can people find information on those and get their name on a starting list? Yeah, absolutely. So it's uh, legoracers dot com, and pages live off of that one. So you can go search through there, and um, you know, if, if anybody wants to become a lead man, which is someone that does every event in one season. That starts this uh, this next weekend in the marathon. So you have to jump into the marathon and then do one of the two Silver Rush 50s, either the bike or the run, and then you would jump into the 100 bike and then the 10K the next morning and then the 100 run the following week. So there's always that challenge waiting for you, too, if anybody wants into that. You're kidding um, me. Yeah, yeah. 100, about 100 people do it every year or start it, and then uh, finishing rate's about 40%. So those, those guys are tough, man. Those guys and girls, they know what's up, and, and they push themselves harder than anybody else through that whole season. It's 282 miles total. Oh, my gosh. You know, okay, now that just that just almost pisses me off that somebody's that <laughs> insane to do something that strong. That's, oh, God. Well, Josh, we, you know, uh, listeners don't know that you and I tried a couple times to make this happen and life gets in the way and all that kind of stuff. And I'm so thankful that I finally got to talk to you and um, get this going. Um, I'm training my butt off trying to make sure I'm ready to go. And uh, hopefully, hopefully things will go well when I see you in August. Oh, I can't wait. It'll be so much fun. If you're putting <laughs> those miles in, it's all going to work out. And I'm, I'm, I'm sure I'll see you there at the finish line. Well, I'm second guessing myself already, but thanks. Oh. Thanks a lot. <laughs> Appreciate your time, man. You bet. Thank you very much. So there you go. Josh Colley. Leadville. Some people are down there already. I am so screwed. I'm not racing to win, but they're down there. Well, down, like, listen to me. They're south of me, so I guess I could say that down there, but they're up there already. They are up there. Oh, my God. There's so many more questions I could have asked that were extre- would have been extremely selfish in manner. You know, like, what kind of food are they going to have? You know, all that kind of stuff. Oh, shit, 
shit, shit. I gotta start. I, I gotta up the training even more. You guys, what the hell have I got myself into? Some of you guys have done it out there. Send me your tips, all right? As I've said earlier, and I, I, I think I teased about it in the outset of the show, that um, we here at Pack Filler Productions realize that sometimes you like laughing at my expense. And so we've decided to put together some little um, webisodes, video, mini documentaries of the process between now and the end of Leadville. It's, think of it as, hell, if Pat can do it, I can do it, right? If, I'm, I, yeah, if I can write it, if I can complete in the event, and I said complete, I meant to say compete, but I, sh- I actually it was right, complete. Just complete. If I can finish the event with a shred of human dignity and bowels intact, you can probably do it yourself. And so we thought we'd put together some little video documentaries of these types of things between now and um, towards the end of August after the race. We'll have the last episode up. So um, (laughs) throw me what you think. Throw me challenges. Throw me all those kinds of stuff. I've already had one... um, uh, listener send me a challenge in the form of preparation for Leadville, and one of the episodes is going to consist of a an uh, a overnight trip where I just leave from the house. I'm going to ride 100 miles away. I'm going to camp someplace for the night. I'm going to ride 100 miles back the next day, and um, we'll see how horribly that goes. So that's just kind of one of the things. Is a little teaser of of preview of coming attractions. It's great talk, talking to Josh. I'm going to be talking to a lot more cyclists. Um, things are starting to line up. It's cyclist busy time of year. But um, hopefully we'll keep the episodes coming. Sorry about the gap there in the last couple episodes um, since I, I, I was able to talk to um, Allison Dunlap, which is a great conversation with her. And uh, there was a little gap, I understand, between the episodes. And that was just because I was trying to line up the interview with Josh. Josh has a life. He has a job, heaven forbid. And so it took a, a little bit of time for me to get him on the line. And we've got a couple more um really cool cyclists we're working on talking to so stay with us all right thanks you guys for uh listening to the show thanks for tuning in and uh sending me your thoughts patrick at packfiller.com i think i said at the onset of the show follow us on twitter facebook all those wonderful things hell i even got an instagram (laughs) oh shit we'll talk to you guys next week Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. 
That's what you'll feel with and Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that and Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at bowlandbranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details.